0: Mia, Mia, so good. You're such a good talk. Meanwhile, Brody's licking your blanket.
1: Ugh, I'd rather him do that. Hello,
0: hello, Mia. You're so good.
1: Okay, what have been your quarantine binge shows?
0: I really, I really haven't had time to watch TV. Oh, um, shut up, three. <laughs> I really have because I've been playing Animal Crossing. Instead. Okay, that's fair. Um, but when I do watch TV, I've been working. Zach and I watched a Norwegian series called Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. Yeah. It is so good. I've heard good things it's, about it. It's in Norwegian, obviously, but you get over the subtitles very fast. Yeah. Then I obviously watched Tiger King because who hasn't at this point? Correct. Rody is joining us.
1: That's fine. He'll hopefully lay down.
0: I, uh, I've been working through Clone Wars because when... Oldie but goodie. Disney Plus announced there's going to be a new season... I'd only previously watched through season three, I guess, on Netflix back in college. Uh Uh-huh. Because I think that's all there was on Netflix at that point. There were other seasons, but they weren't on Netflix for some reason. Right. So I was like, oh, I'll watch it all over. And now I've just finished season four on Monday. Nice. So I'm almost there.
1: That's pretty good. I really... So I'm kind of going through Jane the Virgin again.
0: I've never watched that. Well,
1: not again. I stopped after season two. And now I'm on season three. But I kind of put that one down because that's a good show. But after a while, you're just like the plot kind of repeats over and over again. The same character arcs never change. Yeah. So I just kind of put it down for a little bit because I switched over to the show Outlander. I've heard is, good things about Outlander. It is really, really good. Now, the show, it's like characters are great. It is also one of... How do I say this? Like people complain about Game of Thrones being too raunchy in a way. This show takes it up a notch, but it's more like the kind of scenes they're putting in there are for historical reasons to yeah. show you like, cause it involves like some, not to spoil it, but some of, some of the show or most of the show takes place in the 1700s. So I don't know if you guys know this, but your answers were ancestors went to some freaky shit.
0: <laughs> 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 they didn't know any better. Like
1: some real real messed up shit. So that's why it's in the show.
0: I mean it's a good reason.
1: Yeah. But it's very good. I highly recommend it. What's it
0: on? Like
1: It's on stars. Uh. but the first three seasons are on Netflix and then you can watch season four and five on the Stars app, which I'll probably buy at some point for like a month at Benjamin hall you
0: can get a free trial i think with uh prime
1: oh really we probably tried like watch, a seven day trial
0: yeah i don't know how long it was we tried to watch um spider-man far from home because we still haven't seen it oh it's that's not on disney plus you cannot rent it on amazon prime yeah. you have to buy the stars package and i was like I'm not doing that
1: no i accidentally bought hbo through prime yesterday Whoops. Well, because I wanted to watch the Mr. Rogers documentary, finally, uh, because I watched the movie recently with Tom Hanks.
0: I need to watch that. Dude, it's so good. Is it on Prime?
1: Uh, It's on Prime to rent. Yes. Okay. Highly recommend it. I mean, Tom Hanks is Mr. Rogers. He
0: really is.
1: It is incredible how well he nailed it but that's a good film so I wanted to watch a documentary which is only on HBO you can't rent it either it so it was, you get a 7 day trial so I was like yeah I'll do it it was like a day before my birthday on a, like or a couple days before my birthday on a Sunday so I was eating some chocolate cake and watching it
0: <laughs> it's a good Sunday Yeah,
1: but then it, I forgot to turn it off
0: yeah other than that I've just been playing so much Animal Crossing oh same so much
1: It's a god awful amount of Animal Crossing.
0: Yeah, they they could not have timed that release better if they tried. Correct. And it's like
1: it's, and I think the game would still be as successful, but it's like
0: it's a whole new level. Yeah, like we've we we can't find switches anymore because people just want to play Animal Crossing. Yeah,
1: quarantine. Correct. And if you're not playing Animal Crossing, you're on Reddit reading Animal Crossing memes. Pretty much one or the other. I'm in.
0: Three separate Animal Crossing Facebook groups right now. Yeah, I'm in
1: one on Facebook, I follow an Instagram account, and then I'm on Reddit.
0: Yep.
1: Yep. So anyway, I'm Bethan, And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Ta-da-da.
0: Brody's so snuggly right now.
1: Yeah, he needed to lay down.
0: Is he the is life. the
1: sweetest thing when he lays down
0: this is the life why have we not recorded on the couch before
1: i'm telling you we could have had dogs with us it took an time. hour
0: but they are both asleep on us and yeah
1: it's great. the previous episode was a, <laughs> a
0: little bit of a shit show yeah <laughs> but it's fine we have alcohol now too so and for the first time i think we're drinking the same thing that's
1: true quarantine man the sacrifices you got to make
0: we'll uh, tell you what it is at the end it is local this week, I'm gonna dedicate this episode to our friend Sophie. Sophie, because she is is a fellow strutter, but she also posts about her love of Deaf Leopard. Do I know her? She's could have been memes on. Okay, I do know Instagram. her Instagram.
1: That's a good. That's a good follow.
0: Yes, uh, go follow Could Have Been Memes if you want some quality struts content. But her other favorite band is Deaf Leopard, and I have seen Deaf Leopard in concert. I didn't know that. They were with Journey. Oh, okay. So um, they when they were on that tour, I forget the name of the tour was. I almost wore my shirt today, but it's so cold that we've had to wear a hoodie anyway. Cause it's randomly cold in May. Yeah, it's. But that's a whole other issue. Yeah. Um, but I saw them on that tour, and they kept flip flopping every night. So the night I saw them, Journey was first, and then Def Leppard. Uh huh. I don't know why I just told that story, but um, so yeah, we're talking about Def Leppard who has a little bit more of a wild ride than I expected.
1: I kind of thought they would have a little bit we'll more We'll get wild there. Ride.
0: Do you know much about Def Leppard? I
1: really don't know much. Well, I only know a couple of their songs. And I know... I mean, obviously, you know Def Leppard by the name. But yeah. I've never been, like, a huge f- well, fan of... Not not out of any, like, you know, oh, I hate them. It's just like, yeah, they're just... They're they're just, just we there. never crossed paths.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get that. So... Without further ado, Def Leppard. So it all started in 1977 when Rick Savage, Tony Kenning, and Pete Willis started a band called Atomic Mass.
1: Oh my gosh, that's great.
0: Which is a very
1: 1977.
0: I love that so much. They were all students at school together. So, I mean, it's a school band. They were living in South Yorkshire they had Steve sorry Pete Willis played guitar Rick Savage played bass and then Tony Kenning was on drums spoiler alert only one of one of these three make it to Def Leopard uh rock and roll so in so they lived in Sheffield in South Yorkshire and this was a mining town not a mining town why the fuck did i say that this was a steel mill town and okay. then in the 70s the steel mill started to It wasn't doing great, but it was kind of like the only option you had to work in when you were an adult in Sheffield. Okay. And so they, the three of them saw rock and roll as their chance to escape. Otherwise they were going to be stuck working in the steel mill forever. Sure. And they're in this documentary I watched. They said, we were prepared to do anything, including rob a bank to get out of there. (laughs) Oh God.
1: Quick question. Are they located in UK or are they located in the United States? UK. Sorry. Okay. No worries. I should have said that. Well, kind of That I should have been
0: implied the, by South Yorkshire, but...
1: The, the sure, yeah, Yorkshire. But you never know. There could be like a Yorkshire, Pennsylvania.
0: It, 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 there probably is, let's be honest. Yeah. So they they just wanted to get out of there. Uh, when he was 18, Joe Elliott tried out to be a replacement guitarist after he met Pete Willis, after he missed the bus. Like, nice. they just happened to meet on the street um but very quickly they decided that he was not the right fit for being their guitarist but he was a great fit for being lead singer. So they they hired him. They're like, "Bro, you're in." And Joe Elliott had been dreaming about being in a band for a long time anyway. Yeah. And while in art class, he kept designing posters for this made-up band called Deaf Leopard, like spelled correctly D E A F L E O P A R D. Yeah. But they they talked about it and they were like, "That sounds a little bit too punk." And so they took the Deaf Leopard and kind of borrowed some some spelling from Led Zeppelin, kind of that Ooh. that stuff, um, which really is just dropping a letter in Def. It's not that mind blowing, and spelling Leopard wrong. Um, and so they they made the band name Deaf Leopard, and it stuck. So it was a little bit better than Atomic Mass. This. <laughs> <laughs> they added steve clark in 1978 when he auditioned he he played shit i think he played guitar i'm pretty sure he played guitar um he showed up to his audition and just played leonard skinner's free bird in its entirety and they were like bro you're hired (laughs) that was it that's all we need the whole process so while they're you know figuring out what the heck they're doing because they're babies they're like 17 and 18 year olds yeah. They're rehearsing in an abandoned spoon factory Jesus. in Sheffield for nine months.
1: Why is it just spoons? Why not the whole entire I utensil? Like don't you don't th- know. Like, who
0: just buys spoons? I don't know. Literally don't know. I, mean, I never answers. thought about that when, when they said it in the documentary. So they're rehearsing in this, in this spoon factory, which apparently makes no other silverware. And in November of that year, they... Put they borrow money from joe elliott's dad to make a three-song ep called the deaf leopard ep kenning leaves um he ends up and goes to play for the band cairo okay so they're like oh we need a drummer so rick allen who's 15 at the time other bros Thank are God. 18 17 18 he just, he literally his mom saw an ad in the newspaper and she was like, you should try out for Aww. this. So he shows up and they were like, holy shit, this guy is amazing. And they hire 15-year-old Rick Jeez. Allen as their drummer. Um, so they they continue rehearsing in the Spoon Factory. Uh, the EP did okay. It got some airtime on BBC Radio which is kind of crazy considering how UK radio works. Yeah. It's not great. It is not fair to artists over there. That's why UK artists see a lot more success over here. That's a rant for another time. Right. Um, but John Peel was the radio DJ who kept playing their EP, and he's considered to be a champion of punk rock and new wave music and responsible for most of its like launch in the UK. Right. Uh, so they, they eventually get to the point where they feel comfortable playing in front of people. In July 18th, 1978, they have their first public experience playing and it's in front of like 20 teenage girls, (laughs) which was probably a big boost to their ego.
1: The 15-year-old drummer just became so happy. Oh,
0: yeah. Um, I don't know why this is out of order, my notes, but the the, um, newspaper ad that Rick Allen replied to... (laughs) He, the one it had said, leopard loses skins <laughs> when they lost their drummer. That's funny. Um, also, he auditioned because he was, quote, fed up with the local scene <laughs> at
1: 15. <laughs> what a 15-year-old.
0: okay. So after they did that show to the teenage girls, Joe Elliott was like, I do not want to do these small shows forever. There has to be a shortcut. Um, so they borrowed some money to release like a full-length album, okay. but at the same time, they were... You know, still playing small gigs, still doing what they're doing. The average age in this band at this time is eighteen. Wow! I think Joe's the oldest, um, Rick's the youngest, and like the yeah, others fall in between. So Joe is probably nineteen at this time. But uh-huh. so they're literal babies. Uh, eighteen months after that first gig, they signed a record deal and released their first album. Holy shit, that's quick! So somehow they found a shortcut. The shortcut. I don't want to call it a shortcut because there really is no shortcut. They did work hard. They played. I know gigs. everyone's
1: listening now, like every wannabe musician shortcut.
0: Yeah. So their shortcut was not like a legitimate shortcut. They just happened. They literally happened to be doing the right thing in the right place at the right time. Like people didn't sound like them before this. They pretty much ushered in this wave of of 80s arena rock. Uh-huh. I would say not even Journey was doing it because you listen to Journey's early stuff. It doesn't sound like Def Leppard at all. Right. So, I mean, they were different and they just happened to be noticed by the right people and get signed. So they released their debut album, which is called On Through the Night, on March 14th, 1980. And it did okay in the UK, but this is why bands cannot succeed in the UK. And I love you Brits, but you guys are really shitty to your musicians. (laughs) So let's look at a size comparison. The UK is about... For, you know, visual purposes, the size of a quarter. Well, the U.S. is the size of a laptop. <laughs> so, like, they got a bunch of shit for appealing to appealing to American audiences. Why would you not? There's, like, so many more of us. There's so much more money to be made There's, here. like, thousands
1: of teenage girls compared to 20.
0: Yeah. So, a lot of UK fans gave them a lot of shit for trying to appeal to Americans. I mean, one of the songs in the album is called Hello, America the title. Subtle. Um, and they toured more in the U.S. There's more places to go here. Like, I don't know what yeah. to tell you. Um, they actually... The hate for them was so bad. In a, that that year, they played the Reading Festival in August. So, they released their op in March. Played the festival in August. And the audience was so pissed at them that they started throwing beer cans and bottles full of urine at Ew. them. Um, which apparently okay well first note that seems like a great way to not have your band favorite band come back to this festival right i don't understand but apparently this is like a long uk tradition it's called bottling my friend honor lives in the uk she's telling me that like in 2006 brendan urie got hit in the head with a bottle full of coke in one of his concerts it knocked him out and he had to like be ushered backstage are you serious yes he came Why? back and called them all a bunch of f**kers but oh that's s- like proper yeah you should britain stop throwing shit at musicians on stage like yeah. that is not okay Ah, uh, anyway so they they think that this happened i mean they were mad because of the, what, the whole america thing but the thing that put fans over the edge was like a month prior there was a newspaper article that this guy wrote called has the leopard changed its spots and accused the band of selling out to the american market so i guess it pissed people off whatever sorry
1: we're number one
0: (laughs) sorry we like your musicians more um but it kind of helped them get you know no press is bad press type thing like it got a bunch of attention so they caught the eye or ear whatever you want to say of acdc's producer Who's Robert John Mutt Lang, who is big time producer. He's produced so many albums and he agreed to help them work on their second album. Right. Which was called High and Dry. And apparently he's a perfectionist to the point where like Joe Elliott was saying they were, they would cry when recording because he'd make them do things so many times because you had to get the perfect take and like they would do one bridge twenty five times in a row just to oh make God. sure you got it right. I mean, it's one thing if you're a musician like playing that like it's it annoying, but when you're the lead singer trying to sing that bridge perfectly twenty five times in a row, that takes a lot of toll on your yeah. your mental health. Um, which we'll see. A lot of these guys were not okay. Yeah. So they worked really really hard on this album, thanks to to John Mutt Lang. And they released High and Dry on July 6, 1981. Um, despite the fact that Lang was like, I don't want to use the term slave driver, but he was very hard on them. It did help them like define their sound. And they finally started to gain like real attention when they released the video for Bringing on the Heartbreak. Which is probably one of the five Def Leppard songs most people know. Um, it became one of the first metal videos played on MTV in 1982, which, you know, made them more popular in the U.S. So suck it, England. <laughs> um, uh, but things started to, I don't want to say fall apart, but obviously they're under a lot of more pressure now because they're trying to make it big. Right. Um, alcohol is very available to them. Sure. And they ended up firing Pete Willis in July because he's drunk all the time. Like, all the time. You can't perform. You can't perform. Um, and so they they replaced him the next day by Phil Collin, or with mm-hmm. Phil Collin, who played in the band Girl before this. Phil Collin? Collin. Not Collins. Okay. Phil Collin. It makes for very confusing, like, Google suggestions when you're looking up Def Leppard. Because his name is Phil Collin, you also get a lot of Phil Collins stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. So, Phil Collin joins. They record their third album, Pyromania, which is a great title. And they released that in January 1983. And this is the album that explodes them into popularity. Like, they were doing pretty good with Bringing on the Heartbreak. That was kind of like the song off the album that yeah. did well. Well, with Pyromania, the lead, was fo- lead single was Photograph, um, which came second repeatedly only to Michael Jackson's Beat It on MTV. That's a big deal. Yeah, that year it was the most second most requested video on MTV. Beat It was number 1. It stayed on the chart for 6 weeks, stayed number 2 on the chart I guess for 6 weeks straight and sparked enough traction for them to headline a tour across the US. They also released Rock of Ages and Foolin' off of that same album. It sold 6 million copies in 1983 alone, which was more than 100,000 copies every week that year. Dang. And the only album that beat it was Thriller. So wow, that's, you know, if you're coming in second it's a feat. to Michael Jackson, Yeah, you're doing good. And it was so popular that it, it is credited as being the album that sparked the 1980s pop metal movement. Wow. So thank you, Def Leppard in 2004 pyromania was actually certified diamond having sold 10 million copies their music videos i mean they were a part of mtv's explosion as well right they are rolling stone has actually called them one of the most notable artists of the second british invasion because of their like video work they were so popular at the time a u.s Gallup poll in 1984 Voted Def Leppard as, like, fan-favorite rock band over the Rolling Stones, ACDC, and Journey. Oh, jeez. So, I feel like they didn't sustain their popularity as much as them, but for a while, they were hot. Yeah, they were Um, they Pyromania stayed on the U.S. charts for 92 weeks straight. That is almost two years. But soon their success was met with excess they had a lot of drugs yeah. a lot of drugs available to I them I see that. um joe in this documentary says you know we'd be offered things and we just couldn't say no we'd have to experiment yeah it was you know they were getting pressure from their peers and just from the party scene that they were in but steve and phil specifically got into a lot of trouble together they said, you know, Aerosmith has the Toxic Twins. Uh-huh. We had the Terror Twins because if one was drunk, the other was drunk. But they were responsible, I'm going to put that in quotes about it, to where even at their worst, neither of them ever went on stage drunk. Well, that's nice. They respected each other and, like, the art enough to not go on drunk. No, the second they came off stage, oh, yeah, they'd sure. get plastered. But, Grab
1: a beer on your way off.
0: yeah. Oh, and, uh, we'll see. It eventually becomes during, but. Oh, wow. So the whole band is like this. It's not just Stephen Phil, but they're, they're pretty bad. They're the two worst offenders. In, what year are we in now? I don't know what year we're in now because I didn't write write it down. But (coughs) sometime soon after they wrap up the tour for Pyromania, they retreat to Ireland to work on their next album. Uh Uh-huh. Also to evade taxes, oh, um, gosh. and they they self describe this. I'm gonna I'm gonna insert the caveat here now, that I watched a VH1 documentary on them. Normally I would not use it as like a credible source, Yeah. but they interviewed the whole band, so I uh, feel like I can take the band's words for yeah, what happened. Definitely. Um, they, in their own words, went through a quote astonishing amount of alcohol. Somewhere around day 10, Joe thought it'd be funny to start saving the bottles to see how much they could they could go through during this time working on this album. Uh And so I don't know how long they were there, but from day 10 to the end, they accumulated 170 vodka (gasps) bottles, 150 scotch bottles and a literal a literal mountain of beer cans like like. Half a room was full of people. How are they alive? I don't know. Like, that's alcohol poisoning waiting to happen. I don't know. But after this, they, like... They kind of realized they had a problem. So, Phil stopped drinking, which, at that point, Steve lost his drinking partner. And so, Steve got more sad and more depressed. Yeah. And I'm going to interject a note here that in this documentary... They interviewed Steve Steve's ex fiance, who seems a little psychotic, because every time she would talk about his pain and his suffering, she would smile, Ooh. and I was like, "Ooh, I don't like you." S- someone
1: didn't end well.
0: No, they definitely didn't end well. I mean, he had he had a lot of problems, as we'll see, but like, when, I get that he's your ex fiance, but yeah, when you're talking about his demons and how we'll talk about we'll talk about him in a minute, but um. On that year, on New Year's Eve, Rick crashed his car and was in a terrible, terrible accident. He was speeding; um, he may have been racing. We uh, don't really know what happened, and he was wearing his seatbelt, but I mean, he crashed so hard and at such a weird angle that it ripped his arm off. <gasps> oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. Like Def Leppard. And let, us him, yeah, let us keep in. Yeah, let us keep in mind. He's the drummer. Yeah. So the field that he crashed in was right next to the house of a retired nurse and a police officer. Okay. So they like come rushing out and she's trying to help him. And all he can say to her is I'm a famous drummer and my arm just got torn off. And so she like packs it and like tries to do it. They, they locate his arm. They, they get him to the hospital. They sew the arm back on but the operation was not successful. Yeah. Like it, it was successful for a couple of days, but then it got infected and they had to, to remove it. Yeah. Um his infection like obviously he didn't want his arm to get taken off, so like he tried to fight it. Yeah. And they said if your infection gets worse, we may have to take your right arm too. He was like, "Hell no." Oh jeez. Go ahead and take this one off. So he I have to I really really after like reading this and watching rick allen just talk he's a badass like you would think oh i'm a famous drummer who got my arm ripped off he'd like fall into a deep depression yeah no he refused to accept that he couldn't play drums anymore completely random side note british people say the phrase in hospital like i visited him in hospital and it is the weirdest phrase (laughs) every time they said it when they were talking about visiting rick i was like in the hospital (laughs) the hospital is a place anyway um, so he was super, super motivated to get back to drumming. He actually told his mom that this was the kick in the pants that he needed because he felt like at this point his life had been too easy, yeah, because he was he was got famous at like seventeen, yeah, and he never they never like had to they didn't play for ten years on a gig circuit trying to make it big like yeah, they were handed fame, so he felt like this was his way to like earn what he had back yeah the rest of the man didn't want to pressure him back into it um i mean they were in the middle of recording hysteria okay. when this happened and they went on hiatus they're like you know take some time for you heal you almost died like yeah it's fine um six weeks later rick joined them in the studio holy cow they literally shut him in a room for eight hours a day where he had to reteach himself how to play drums. They made a special kit just for him that would the beats he would normally play with his left hand, which is the yeah. arm that he lost, he can play them with his foot. Wow. So he was like the music was inside of me and the beats were inside of me. I had to get them out another way. That's crazy. Um so if you wa- if you watch him play, like I don't know if we'll ever see another drum solo that'll top his drum solo. Like, it was it is insane the playing he can do with his feet. Anyway, that that is digressing so cool. from my story. So while they're in the middle of recording Hysteria and while they're in the middle of, you know, Rick learning how to play the drums again. Yeah. They get invited to play Monsters of Rock, which is this huge festival.
1: I think we talked about that for one of our episodes.
0: Probably. A lot of people were there. And Rick obviously really wanted to do it, but he wasn't sure if he'd be able to yet. I mean, he'd been working his ass off. Yeah. But that's a lot of pressure to go out and Oh
1: yeah. And the news knows you ripped off your arm. Yeah, and-
0: you you were just in the hospital two months ago. So yeah. um they hire a backup drummer for him just in case and decide to do his the backup drummer, his name's Jeff Rich. And they decide to do like a couple of very small pub gigs around Ireland just to see what happens. Uh-huh. And about the third or fourth one, Jeff missed a flight to wherever he was supposed to be in Ireland. Uh-huh. So Rick had to go on and they said he didn't miss a beat like wow um Jeff pulled in like with 30 minutes left in the set and was like slinking in the back and he felt so bad but like wow it was kind of the confidence boost that
1: he needed that, yeah
0: that Jeff needed so they play monsters of rock obviously uh Rick nailed it and did amazing and got like the biggest applause of the whole festival because this was very very soon after his accident yeah Um, and that day he became known as the thunder god wow (laughs) that's one way to be dubbed and yeah so and the rest of the band like really just loved him for this and they like I said they were in the middle of recording hysteria and they kind of took the mentality for the rest of the album of you know if Rick can do this while missing an arm we don't get to complain about not getting a bridge right or missing that note like we can just suck it up and make this album hello my name is nick and i'm mika and we are the sound of history podcast each week i try to teach mika music history
1: by telling her the story of a musical style or artist
0: join us every thursday as i learn the whole story of american popular music so they finish up this album and they go on tour. But they're playing the big arenas like they had on their previous tour, which was about five years prior. Uh huh. And they're only half full, Uh-oh. which is not good. No. So they do a hand, the way their tour was set up, they did like a handful of US dates. They went to the U.K., and then they were scheduled to come back to the U.S. So while they're in the U.K., they release Pour Some Sugar On Me, and it explodes. It sold three million albums in like two months, and when they came back to the U.S., every arena was sold out completely. Yeah, Um,
1: That song was huge.
0: That song was huge. That album was huge. The album has seven hit singles. Wow. Which had... um, I don't know what this note means. It had seven hit singles. <laughs> <laughs> they interesting note about this tour was they performed the entire tour in the round, so the stage is in the middle. Okay, and they were they were one of the first artists that like broke away from you know there's a box over here and you face one direction. Right. They had to entertain three hundred and sixty degrees of crowd, which per, like made its own challenges because normally you would. be able to have you know your basses sneak off when your drummer's doing a solo or whatever so they had to like rework how those would work would uh, how the breaks would happen so they came up with this thing where Joe and Rick would be on stage like doing this this crowd hype thing like Joe would be doing a call and response and Rick would just be beating the shit out of the drums and the others would go under the stage where some things happened. Under the stage? Under the stage. Guess okay. where they're taking their break. Okay. So it was at this point in the documentary where I think it was one of their former managers or stage crew would say, like, we all know that Motley Crue has a debauchery history, right? Yeah. Def Leppard was worse. No. They were just better at hiding it. That's what this guy said. Which I believe it. So, under the stage on any given night, there would be 60 topless ladies. Holy shit. And whilst Joe and. Whilst. 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 Joe, <laughs> whilst Joe and Rick were doing their thing up on stage, the rest of the band was getting laid for 20 minutes. There was drugs. There was, like, there was. Someone described it as Sodom and Gomorrah under the stage every uh. night. Like. God. What, it was just horrible. Um I thought so, they would just
1: be having a cup of cup of coffee.
0: So yeah, you think they would want a break, but like chill,
1: have, like phew, take a second, breathe, meditate.
0: Nah. But you, they, they did make the the comment that, you know, the rest of the band can't Joe and Rick will always be innocent in that cuz they were on stage every night. So yeah. they're they're squeaky clean is <laughs> what they said, but they're not um So obviously, this album, Hysteria, was a huge success, even bigger than their previous. And that pressure to make the next album even bigger and better, and you know more extravagant, yeah, really started to get to Steve. Like, this was really sad, and this is about to get real emo for a second. Okay. So the night before the Hysteria ch- tour, he just didn't want to do it anymore. And he tried to break his fingers <gasps> the night before going on stage. Like are you he, serious? He kept punching the sink in the dressing room. And Joe was like, what are you doing? Like we have to go Holy on crap. And he's like, I just don't want to do it anymore, man. And so they like calmed him down after the first night. They said he was fine. Like he played the whole tour. Yeah. Everything was, you know, okay. Um, but after they finished that tour, he was just out drinking doing something and someone some random passerby found him in a coma in a ditch wow the blood alcohol twice of what killed john bonham from led zeppelin <gasps> but he was still alive holy cow he, he was okay not well he wasn't okay Like he survived uh he was later admitted to a psychiatric hospital he started hearing voices he had severe impulse control issues Um, His crazy ex-wife says that a lot of it related back to his dad. Uh He was scared of his dad, but he always wanted, you know, his approval of being in the band and making it big. And his dad never gave it to him. And so he like couldn't let that go. He eventually got checked into rehab after he left the psychiatric hospital. And he was allowed visitors once a week. And like the rehab facility encouraged, you know, friends come talk to him, tell him like, keep his spirits up
1: yeah
0: uh so joel elliott would go visit him once a week he's like i would sit there every week for an hour and i would you know talk to him and tell him to sober up but the day he checked out he drunk himself into a blackout like he just he he wouldn't listen yeah uh he eventually died in his sleep in 1991 at the age of 30 wow his cause of death was mixing his antidepressants with the like copious amount of alcohol wow. so it's really sad yeah and the band this is gonna sound really harsh, but they kind of saw it coming based on his behavior like the rest of the band kind of calmed down with their yeah. their drugs and alcohol on the road. he never did um and they decided that they were gonna you know continue to carry on and recorded their next album just as a four piece band with Phil Colin mimicking his his style on the guitar parts uh-huh. Um, so they released their fifth album called Adrenalize, which I hate that name, Yeah. in 1992. They had a single, Let's Get Rocked, which was an instant hit. Keep in mind, in 1992, MTV was still a thing. Right. <laughs> so they still showed music videos. What a, what a crazy notion. <laughs> um, and it actually was nominated for Best Video of the Year. But eventually, they had to replace him. Right. And the poor guy i don't want say poor guy the guy who who replaced him his name is vivian campbell he he is not the same obviously as steve like at all but his playing style is amazing he could do what he could do but this poor guy had to make his first public appearance with the band at the freddie mercury celebration of life tribute concert oh no that's one way to do it <sighs> like like why who thought that was a good idea
1: no, you could have waited, that you could have had like a sub
0: in such pressure. Um, I forget what they did at the uh, shit. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up real quick. Oh, oh, so they, they, uh, Def Leppard and what was left of Queen opened up the Freddie Mercury tribute concert with Tie Your Mother Down. So, not only was that his first appearance with Def Leppard, but they opened up the whole show. So, welcome to the band, Vivian. Obviously, Def Leppard was big in the 80s. They have that 80s sound. Right. But in the 90s, a little thing called grunge happened.
1: Oh, killed. Killed all 80s metal.
0: It did. But Def Leppard decided that they would try to adapt to the change. And they released an album called Slang. And it it wasn't mimicking Nirvana and Pe- Pearl Jam. They said it was, like, their answer to the climate. It didn't do well. Um, I bet. It's not bad. It just wasn't good. And it wasn't Def Leppard. Like, fans are yeah. mad that they sold out and changed their sound. And da-da-da-da. And no one
1: in the grunge scene is going to listen. Because once you, like, try to mimic being grunge, they're all going to leave you.
0: Yeah. They're not going to listen to you. So they very quickly tried to get back on track and they released euphoria in 1999 they even they went the full like shebang and like the album artwork mimics their big 80s hits and album name ends in ia like pyromania and hysteria yeah now we have euphoria i love a good theme it reached number 11 on the billboard chart which you know isn't bad considering it's 1999 right and embarked on a 147 date tour jeez in 2000 they were inducted by brian may they have a really good relationship with brian may like they actually have brian may in this documentary at one point Uh uh-huh and they he just talks about you know how good of a group of humans def leppard is so brian may inducts them into the hollywood walk of fame okay um in 2001 vh1 made a like biopic about def leppard that talks about the Rick Allen stuff and the Steve Clark stuff.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I opened it thinking it was a documentary at first because the version that's on YouTube has Dutch subtitles and uh-huh. I couldn't really understand what it was and Dutch text. And it literally opens with, I guess, the car crash. But they're like doing cocaine in a car. And I was like, is this a documentary? I'm confused. (laughs) And then I saw the credits pop up and I was like, I don't think that this is factual enough to use it as a source, but I am going to go back and watch it. But, um, it's called hysteria, the Def Leppard story. Um, in 2002, they released another album called X, which they tried to change directions again. They did not learn from the grunge phase. Right. This one was a pop influenced album did not do great it kind of gets up under the table so their next album is called yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we gave up
0: (laughs) pretty much (laughs) and it's kind of like a tribute to the bands they grew up with your david bowie's your mark boland's your alice cooper right um in so this is just like a random assortment of dates that are important because they've kind of just been touring and doing stuff for the last 20 years uh in 2008 this is just what I call random shit Def Leppard has done they released their first album new studio material in six years it's called song from the sparkle lounge huh. great title uh the first single was called nine lives and features country singer Tim McGraw interesting and I don't understand he co-wrote the song but like what a weird pairing. Yeah. And if that wasn't weird enough, in October they played with Taylor Swift. <laughs> Why? Um, there was a show at the time called CMT Crossroads okay. on country music TV. And they recorded this Taylor Swift Def Leopard mashup. As a DVD to be exclusively sold at Walmart.
1: Okay, sure.
0: Uh, Taylor Swift has been a huge fan of the Def Leppard since she was little. So she actually chose them to be, you know, her partner for this series. Right. And they did a crossover performance of Photograph, which actually won some country awards. Huh. It's so weird. In 2013, Vivian Campbell announced that he had Hodgkin's lymphoma, oh, which is, you know, a kind of aggressive cancer. But because the guys of Def Leppard are super badass and don't take no for an answer, he just continued to pre- perform the whole tour. No shows were canceled or rescheduled. Wow. He got treatment while on the road. Like he said the sole idea of canceling any shows disgusted him. <laughs> um, so he's a badass. Good for you. Uh, he he went into remission. Cancer came back. He's in remission again. I think he's, he's good. Uh huh. He's okay. In 2018, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This was a year, a weird year for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because, so I guess n- normally how it happens is there's a thousand members who get to vote on who's inducted. Uh huh. But this year they let fans vote, and Def Leppard won. I'm not going to pretend to do the math right now. They won over 14 other people um, getting so they were first. They were 28 percent higher than second place Wow, nominee, which was Stevie Nicks. So sorry, Stevie. But they got not, they got inducted and the person who inducted them was Brian May. <laughs> <laughs> so they got to continue that relationship um, and they were still touring as of two years ago. Who wow. knows what the tour f- plans will hold for them in the future? Because they're not young, right? And probably should not be in mass crowds of people right now. Oh,
1: especially right now. Are but, they doing any live streams?
0: Um, no, they're pretty quiet. Yeah. Uh,
1: probably enjoying their
0: <laughs> enjoying their their chill time. Yeah. I will say Joe Elliott endorses the Struts, so oh, that's tight. A, he's a cool guy in my book. The interview they they he has no. Shits for paparazzi. Bless the man. He's probably tired of them by this point. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's Def Leopard. That's, that's pretty cool. They're pretty cool. They have a very tragic past, but they're they're still makes kicking. for a good story. Rick Allen is insane. He can drum better than most two handed drummers.
1: She's loving that.
0: She is. I'm I'm rubbing Mia's belly. She, she loves over. her belly rubbed. She's very content. What yep. you drinking? I'm drinking Beals Gold from right here in Bedford, Virginia. It's a great beer. It is good. I don't normally like lagers, but... I love the bottle that they... Yeah, it's
1: a vintage bottle. They put it in. It's probably my favorite beer. I love drinking it. I love cooking with it.
0: I can see how it'd be good to cook with.
1: I made an excellent beer cheese with it.
0: I'll read the side. It says, You found it. Crisp. Smooth deceptively simple a beer for drinking
1: thank you for listening you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts Google Play, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you also can leave us a review if you like Def Leppard tell us about him in a review Uh, special thanks to Josh Tarpley for our intro riff and Lauren Page photography for our cover art we also want to give a shout out to Backline and Speaker Tree. Keep doing what you're doing dur- during this time, guys. Uh, you also can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at She Will rock you Podcast. You also can follow us on Twitter at She Will rock, the Letter U, Pod. You also can follow us individually at Beth Antarpley or LeahElizabeth.j. You also can send us an email at she will rock you at gmail.com. Other than that, don't do
0: drugs. Don't do drugs.